0: Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum. So glad you're here with me this week. My guest is my first ever two time guest. It's the former head writer for WWE, Brian Bortz. We had Brian on the show nine weeks ago ahead of the publishing of his book, There's Just One Problem, which both JBL and I have recently butchered the name of. And you'll hear that on this episode. Uh, It's a great book, can't recommend it enough, but now Brian has two projects as co-executive producer alongside his partners, the pretty well-known Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia. First is Tales from the Territories, a new program on Vice, looks at some of the old pro wrestling territories and those colorful tales that made them so memorable. And the other is the sitcom Young Rock on NBC, which returns November 4th on Friday nights. Brian is a great guest, I'm so glad he's back with me, so here we go with Brian Gortz. So pleased to have me today, my first two-time guest on the show. He's the author of There's Just One Thing, his memoir about his time on creative WB WWE. He's also the co-executive producer with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia on Vices, Tales from the Territories on Tuesday nights, and on Young Rock on NBC. It's Brian Gwartz. Brian, welcome back to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversation. So happy you're here today.
1: Hey, Phil. Thank you. Uh, there's just one problem. Is uh, I know we're, we have a very familiar relationship now, this being a recurring guest and all. Uh, so you could call it. There's just one thing, but you know, yeah. in any case anyone wanted to, uh, <laughs> you know, look it up.
0: I heard JBL's flub on Briscoe with Bradshaw, and it just it just stayed yeah. with me. I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so, well, uh,
0: in your past creative role, you you kind of had to be in the moment uh, of what was going on. With these shows that you're working on, you're diving more into the past of of things that happened. What kind of things do you learn working on any of the on either of these two programs, and does any of it cross over?
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of like young rock and um, and tales from the territories. Yeah. Well, obviously, on um, you know, in tales from the territories, you know, the stories that we're hearing from the, the legends themselves. You know, I'm in the process of watching the um, stampede, uh, the cut of the stampede episode with uh, Bret Hart and Abdullah the Butcher and Dr. D. David Schultz. And, you know, I, it's like I'm hearing stories that, you know, obviously I've read Bret's book um, and I know, you know, stories, you know, contained in that and from what I've heard in locker rooms and my time in WWE. But it's really, truly amazing when you're actually hearing stories, most of them I've never heard before, you know, coming from the people themselves. Uh, and and it's kind of the same on Young Rock, too, because we have um, You know, we have story session with Dwayne and the producers um, before every season. And he tells us stories that, you know, a lot of them I'd never even heard before, uh, especially the ones about his dad and his grandfather and his grandmother. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, um, importance not only in hearing the stories, but making sure you're interpreting them correctly on on the scripted show on Young Rock. And doing them justice in the reenactments uh, and the recreations that we're doing on Tales from the Territory and just making sure that the entire package is presented, you know, with both a nod to entertainment because it is at the end of the day supposed to be entertaining, but also with respect and reverence and, um, you know, not wanting to to get anything wrong in the, you know, in the retelling of the show.
0: How many of the stories on Tales from the Territories had you heard before, and how many of them were just kind of brand new to you? Wrestlers can be some incredible, incredible storytellers,
1: and have seen that on the
0: first few episodes.
1: You know, it's it's funny because there's a um, you know, the, it's it's kind of a mixture. A lot of these stories I had heard or had heard of, and the legend of you know, you hear something like, "Oh, Kempetera threw a through a." you know, through something through a McDonald's, you know, late at night and got arrested for it, Um, whether it was a rock or whether it was a chair, whatever it was, um, or you heard like, um, you know, like um, a Jimmy Hart got, you know, hit with a blow dart in Memphis. And you hear these stories, but you don't really hear the details of them and you don't hear the first person accounts of them. And, you know, the beauty of Tales from the Territories is we have multiple people, as you know, on these round tables who can also call out people if they like, wait a minute, that's not how I remember it, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, it's really, really cool just to hear the depth and hear the um, attention to detail. And, and you know, some of these stories, you know, morph into urban legends over the course of time, you know, where you have like, yeah, there's a, there's a kernel of truth, but what I heard is something different. And that's like, that, that's the cool thing about attending, you know, some of the round tables that when we were shooting them, uh, in Atlanta, and just being a fly on the wall, because at a certain point, you uh, you know, while you're still trying to keep your producer hat and you have your you know your clipboard and your you know the headset and everything else, um, you also just become a fan, um, you know, and, and and just like sit back and just absorb the stories, and you know, if, if, uh, if there was popcorn on, on craft service, uh, you know, I would take it because it was you know just like having an exclusive. Almost, uh, you know, intimate performance uh, going on of these stories that you've heard in passing or haven't heard at all or have heard very well and just, you know, taking it all in and just loving every second of it.
0: You mentioned Ken Patera. I thought he was the star of that AWA episode. I really enjoyed all of everything you get from having Ken Patera on one of those shows. This oh, year. yeah. It's just, it's just all there for everybody. Even getting, uh, you know, he mentions he's denying, you know, not to give any of it away, but like he, he's often denied that he threw the the boulder and uh, yes. through the McDonald's in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And seeing everyone's reactions at the table to that were <laughs> like, This is, and he, and his reactions to them. It's just, you, I think you guys will really enjoy it because I I had fun watching it. So yeah, no,
1: thanks. And and, you know, the other thing too, that I love, you know, about our territory show and vice is, you know, obviously Dwayne, myself, uh, seven bucks in general, we all have a, a deep connection to WWE. It's where we grew up. It's where we worked. It's where Dwayne performed. Um, but there's like a whole world, obviously, as everyone knows, outside of WWE, And this show really concentrates on that because it basically is all the territories that were thriving and existed for decades before um, WWE came into existence. Well, not came into existence, but basically, you know, um, I want to say monopolized, but but basically went national. So we have a lot of guests on. You don't see Ken Patera on, you know, WWE produced shows. You don't see Dr. D. David Schultz. You don't see Abdul the Butcher. You don't see like a ton of people. There are obviously you know, familiar names as well uh, that you do see on WWE programming. But, like, we're really, like, happy that we were able to really branch out and, and get some talent that, you know, you don't normally hear from.
0: What do you think fans will like the most about this,
1: about this new show on Vice? I just think it's, um, you know, just this really, I don't want to say, uh, I don't want to say, like, it's, I don't want to imply that WWE programming and, and other, you know, programming or wrestling is sugarcoated or sanitized or whatever but wwe is a publicly traded company and they have you know a certain set of standards that they have to adhere to and everything ties back to the fact that it is a publicly traded company and you know everything affects everything else um this one is sort of unencumbered by that um and and just like you know you just really and and it's certainly like not wwe hit piece or anything like that it's there's nothing to do with wwe that's one of you know i think um you know the cool selling points about it is that we hear so much history through the spectrum of um you know the winners you know whatever that phrase is the victors uh get to tell get to write their own history I'm, right. I'm screwing that up <laughs> but you know just just basically the fact that like this is this is stories and history that's like slowly eroding over time, because if, if, you, if we didn't have the opportunity to tell the stories, a lot of these stories kind of like die in the locker rooms and, and die, you know, within, you know, just the wrestling circles and are kept to that inner circle. Like we're basically telling these locker room stories that have become legendary and, you know, telling them to the world so that they live forever. I mean, that's really the the intention behind the show. And I know you worked
0: a lot in WWE with Michael P.S. Hayes directly um, where were some of his some of the best like story times you heard when you were in WWE was hearing some of the
1: stories from him. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything involving Michael Hayes and we're happy. You know, we did reach out to WWE and, and we're able to have Jerry Lawler and Michael Hayes be a part of the show. So that was very cool. And yeah, I mean, Michael is a gifted storyteller. He's just a gifted character in general. He's He's, you know, like. of my book is Michael Hayes. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really cool to see um, to see him, you know, in his element, you know, talking, uh, you know, with fellow legends, because at the end of the day, even though he's a very brilliant mind and a brilliant behind the scenes, you know, producer for decades now, he's a performer and he's always been a performer. Um, you know, he's very, very young. It's, it's hard to imagine like ultra young. Uh, Michael Hayes is the fabulous one of the fabulous free birds, but, um, he's been in this business forever and has such a, you know, wealth of stories and experiences and, and stuff that is, you know, normally, uh, unspeakable in 2022, <laughs> you know, the stuff yeah. that he was doing on the road and, uh, you know, the, the, you know, just the crazy antics you'd get into. Yeah, I think he was like 21
0: or 22 years old when he and the junkyard dog worked in the, uh, the super for mid South too. Yeah. I mean, he was literally just a baby when, when you consider like his, how long his run is in pro wrestling. It, it reminds me, and I was just kind of thinking about, you know, in terms of telling stories and stuff like that, I had the opportunity when I was in college to have uh, Sidney Shanberg as a teacher who was the, uh, 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 Pulitzer winner who, they made the Academy Award winning film, The The Killing Fields, after his life, and he wrote the, the Death and Life of Death Prawn, and at the end of all of our classes we always had story time with Sid, where we just get to ask him anything we wanted to about his life or his career or anything like that, and it was like such a great highlight. I don't remember... of that class, but I remember most of the story times and I remember most of the stuff that happened outside of the classroom too. So it's just, it's fun when you get to hear about things from, you know, the people directly involved. So I had this conversation with, uh, with Jerry Lawler many years ago about Andy Kaufman and, uh, should Andy Kaufman be in the hall of fame? You know, first of all, how much would you have tried, enjoyed trying to write for Andy Kaufman and, and work with him collaboratively? Uh, he's one of my absolute favorite figures in wrestling
1: history. Just what, what's his importance in pro wrestling to you? Well, as, I mean, as you know, um, you know, from, from the book and everything, um, obviously I didn't and never worked with or interacted with Andy Kaufman, but my uncle did. Uh, my uncle uh, was the writer on all the Latka episodes of Taxi. Right. So like, my real first exposure, my uncle and his writing partner, you know, they they wrote all the LACA episodes for multiple seasons on Taxi. And that was really, you know, because I was always, you know, an event when one of my uncle's episodes of Taxi was on the air and I was a little kid when it was out. Um, but that was really my first exposure to to, um, you know, network sitcoms really um, was watching those Andy Kaufman episodes. And I just knew him, you know, as a kid, as the lovable you know, Latka Gravis. I didn't know the extent of um, you know Andy Kaufman's genius until until much later. Um, but yeah, you know, he is without question. I mean, look, you know, WWE Hall of Fame. You know, is a um, you know, it's an interesting thing because sometimes it's 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 you know, it, it's not like the baseball writers' Hall of Fame where it's just you know based on statistics and certain thresholds and this person hit X amount of home runs or getting hits or wins or strikeouts or whatever. This is – it's kind of like forged by, you know, whatever is discussed that happened to be discussed that year. But from a pure merit standpoint, there is probably no celebrity more influential and more, um, you know, just revered in the business than Andy Kaufman. I mean, what he did in Memphis, you know, it's why we dedicated a whole episode to it, um, is just really extraordinary. Like, he had no reason – other than his pure love and passion for wrestling to go down to Memphis. And of course, you know, as, as we talked about on the show and as legend has it, you know, he tried with WWF at first, uh, and Vince senior just, um, wasn't into the idea. Obviously, you know, Vince jr. Vince McMahon, as we know him, uh, obviously did obviously pay attention to what was going down in Memphis. Right. The thereafter. Just a couple years later, Mr. T is wrestling in the main event of WrestleMania and Cindy Lauper is in the corner of Wendy Richter and Billy Martin and Liberace and Bob Costas and everyone else. You know, Muhammad Ali, everyone is uh, involved in the first WrestleMania. Um, but Andy, you know, as someone who wrote for the guest host era, there is a lot of um, th- there's a lot of from publicists and stuff like that, like wanting understandably, you know, wanting to make their. Um, clients and, and their, um, you know, the people that they're representing uh, not look like a horse's ass. That, may, that makes sense. Um, Andy had no such fear of that. He would look like a horse's ass. He would, you know, he loved, he relished getting booed and playing the heel in Memphis and making fun of the people and the, the women, the men. You know, obviously he was wrestling women at first and then second to Jerry. Um, and, and not just, you know, it wasn't just like a Oh, they're going to have a match and that's it. You know, as we explained and showed, the um, the Jerry Lawler, Andy Kaufman angle like lasted for a long time in many iterations. I mean, at one point, <laughs> Andy seemingly turned babyface only to turn heel on him again. It was just amazing to watch and so ahead of its time and so unprecedented um, that, yeah, obviously, Andy deserves to be in many Hall of Fames. <laughs> and yeah. he uh, is definitely one of them.
0: Yeah, I, ju- I just always love watching. It never gets old for me watching Andy Kaufman footage again and again or hearing about it from, you know, yourself. Uh, talking to David Arquette a little bit about it over the years. Jerry Lawler, Bill Apter has a great perspective on all of this, being right in the middle and being the person who helped him connect with Lawler too. So it's just – I absolutely love it. I think they could induct him, get Bob Zemuda out there, do something. You know, have, it have Tony Clifton come and accept the uh, Hall of Fame uh, <laughs> accolade on Andy's behalf half or something but uh, i think there's so many things you can do with it
1: it, uh, yeah, it I think would be I- really nice um and, and yeah it, w- it would be it would be you know the right thing to do as far as cementing his legacy but even if it doesn't happen i mean his his legacy is cemented i mean people people who know know and uh people who don't know hopefully uh you know saw tales from the territories episode and got a much better broader understanding of him.
0: So on the other side of what you're doing, this, this sort of uh, period piece, for lack of a better term, Young Rock, it really makes it clear that, you know, crazy scenarios in pro wrestling make for a great backdrop in other forms of entertainment.
1: What, what, do you, what do you think about that? Sure. I mean, look, every time I know, you know, just I had a I wouldn't say a cup of coffee. I was in WWE for 16 years, but I am never more um, popular or sociable outside amongst friends and amongst people I'm meeting for the first time than when I'm telling, you know, WWE stories. Um, it's it's quite possibly all I got. Um, but the wrestling backdrop, you know, even in my experience, is I've always been, you know, it's kind of the impetus for me writing the book. It's always been um, a very big crowd pleaser. Um, and the fact that, you know, you have on Young Rock Three different time, four different timelines. If you include uh, Dwayne's current, tw- future 2033 timeline um, of eras to explore and talent to explore between the 80s, um, the early 90s slash late 80s and uh, the late 90s, where you see the um, this season the evolution of Rocky Mayavia into The Rock. It's so cool, and it's there's never more fun. I never have more fun on set than when it's the wrestlers. Outside of the arena, when they're just either hanging out in a diner or hanging out in someone's house, or going shopping, or you know, Macho Man Randy Savage opening up a Sears as we did last year, and him being just so into the idea of Sears, um, and just seeing you know Kevin Makeley, our Macho Man, just go nuts like, "Oh yeah, it's on sale!" You know, all that <laughs> kind of thing. It's so much fun to see and do. Um, you know, wrestling is a lot of the times throughout history, it's been like kind of self-contained into uh, wrestling in the world of wrestling in and of itself. So it really gives me a lot of pride to be able to take that world and, you know, help produce a sitcom on NBC, um, where it's it's shown in a, you know, they're actual human beings, they have actual relationships, they have actual fears and anxiety and, and, you know, everything else. It's just not just, I'm going to pin you and get the winner share of the prize money in the ring or win the title. It's like, you know, obviously it's so much deeper than that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just never, never not fascinating. Uh, you might've answered it a little bit right there, but what, what's been the most
0: rewarding part for you personally of producing Young Rock for NBC?
1: I mean, really like it's, it's seeing the finished product on the screen and seeing the audience's reaction to it. And, you know, this just like, we're just watching it unfold. Like, like the process of meeting with Dwayne before the season starts and hearing him unfold his stories. Um, and then, you know, you work on set, you know, 11, 12 hours a day, um, you know, working with the actors and actresses and all the writers and producers and the crew, um, you know, and Jeff Chang and Anachka Khan. Uh, who are our showrunners and our, um, you know, creators, co-creators of the show, um, you know, just have a brilliant way of being able to take those stories and mold them into 21 and a half minutes of episodic television that's just both funny and also, you know, at a lot of times, like, truly emotional. Um, you know, on a personal, on a personal note, you know, myself, Dwayne, and Hiram wrote an episode last year uh, the one where it was Rocky Maivia, Dwayne Johnson's first ever match. He wasn't even Rocky Maivia yet. He was just Dwayne Johnson uh, wrestling a dark match in Corpus Christi. Um, and we just took a lot of pride in being able to you know, write the script. Uh, and, and, and then you know, for me, being down in Australia for two seasons as we were shooting it and being on set, um, you know, answering any questions any of the actors have about the world of wrestling or Dwayne's experience, or in some cases where I didn't know, um just being able to text Dwayne and even though um you know there's whatever an 18 hour time difference depending on where Dwayne is um him responding almost all the time almost instantaneously um cuz you know this is a passion project for him too it's his life it's his family's life so yeah i mean just being being able to to like broaden the world of wrestling beyond the ring and seeing the finished product um you know, I know that's it's kind of like a obvious answer, but but, you know, it's a truthful one. Yeah. And, it, and it's such good stuff,
0: too. I mean, you know, just just personally, just it just seems so fun. And it's such good stuff for the fans to be able to enjoy, even if, you know, yes, you want to get it beyond the wrestling fan necessarily. But for the wrestling fans, it's good, too. Yeah, know? Totally. I saw I saw The Rock recently on social media, noting that being near his family on that show sort of felt like the real deal. How important is it for you guys to get as close to the real article of some of these uh, wrestlers as you can? I saw like, the Captain Lou Bano guy was like it literally
1: looked exactly like Captain Lou Albano. So yeah, it's it's real important. And yeah, what you're referring to, um, you know, just to expand on that is you know in the past, um, mainly due to the pandemic. You know, Dwayne shot his scenes in his 2033 timeline with Randall Park in um, in in the United States, either in Los Angeles or Atlanta. And we shot in Australia. And this year um, we're shooting everything in Memphis, you know, wrestling hotbed, as you know, in a place where Dwayne made his mark, you know, before he got called up to WWE. So this was like literally the first time outside of zooms that Dwayne could meet Um, you know, Stacy, Anna, Joe, who plays, you know, his family, Uli, Bradley, Adrian, who plays like the different versions of himself and meet them all in person. Um, So it was really, really cool to uh, watch them all interact because, uh, you know, I'm down there, I'm working, I see them every day. Um, Even I lose track of the fact that Dwayne has talked to them and Zoomed with them, but never actually physically met them before. Um, And yeah, that was like super cool. And he, you know... He poured his heart out into uh, his Instagram stories talk, talking about that. Um, it's like, you know, when you see Joe Anderson in the Rocky Maivia makeup and the sideburns and the hair uh, and, and his Rocky Johnson, you know, wrestling gear and everything else, he really does morph and transform into Rocky Johnson. It's crazy. Um, it's also crazy that Joe is still like in his late 20s. Um, it's, it's absolutely nuts. Um <laughs> Because he looks a lot older, you know, when he's playing Rocky. And then, you know, after the season's over and the sideburns come off and he shaves the mustache and everything, it's like, Oh yeah, you you look like some young twenty something. Now I get it. But uh it's 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 really it's it's an amazing transformation. And he embodies him. It's not just looking like him. You know, right. Dwayne tells the stories about his dad and his dad's attitude and his dad, you know his interactions with other wrestlers in the locker room and Joe is just a sponge. He just takes it and absorbs it. And really the whole cast does, um, you know, Ada, um, you know, Dwayne's mom who, you know, we see all the time and is one of the biggest wrestling fans in the world. Probably, um, you know, Stacy, she, she just embodies her, her sweetness, her love for the business and for her family. It's, it's really important to get right. And, you know, thankfully, um, you know, I I think it's safe to say that we have been getting it right. You know, like I'm sure there are people I know there are people who watch Young Rock with a scorecard and say, wait a second. Hold on a second. Andre the Giant never fought the Iron Sheik at PPW in 1985. What is what is happening here? Where who, who do I who do I call? Um, <laughs> but it's not that type of show. It is a kitchen right. show. It is not a documentary. It's based on you know, real events. And, and the truth is, uh, Leah Mayavia, you know, had a great relationship with the McMahons, and they did let their talent wrestle in Hawaii, all the promoters did um, for her promotion. So yeah, it's, it's a taking, you know, the household names, some household, some not, and, uh, you know, trying to make an entertaining show out of it. But everything is based on, you know, reality, real people, real relationships, real situations. Yeah. I will admit that I do that with documentaries though. I actually yeah, do. have a card that.
0: like the Andre the giant one. I'm like, oh, I also read the book too. And I'm like, uh, X, Y, and Z, not exactly, but close, you know, but yeah. it, you know, especially in a sitcom, you're going to have more uh, artistic license to kind of, you know, maneuver people where you need them to do, because you're, t- you're literally
1: telling the story yourself. So uh, yeah, how well, that- our episode, for instance, like I wanted to make sure that Mantar was in the episode and <laughs> Mantar Um, Because it's just a great visual. I mean, where else in wrestling are you going to see a guy with a giant, I don't know, bison head on, you know, on top of his uh, body try to enter a wrestling ring? And I think, I think technically speaking, Mantar's time in WWF was, you know, a few months before uh, Dwayne Johnson showed up to do his dark match in Corpus Christi. And, you know, we talked about it and it was like, you know what, it's a risk we're willing to take. You know, we, uh, the five people who might be looking up when Mantar debuted and when, he left and when Dwayne Johnson had his dark match. It's like, you know what? I think they'll be watching anyway. And if not, you know, so be it. It wasn't meant to be. Uh,
0: so we're going to move on to what we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and, uh, and your thoughts. So you were at raw on Monday night. Uh, we're recording this on October the 13th. Uh, What were your takeaways from the show and how easy is it for you to watch
1: wrestling when you, when you're going there in that capacity? It's so easy because I don't have to do anything. Um, (laughs) It's, it's like, you know, when you go, it's like visiting. I don't know. Sometimes you, uh, I remember after college, I, you know, as, as college freshmen sometimes do, they go back to high school and visit their old teachers and say hello. And, walk around, um, you know, it's like, yeah, the pressure's off because you're not expected to uh, actually do any work. You're just there purely to enjoy it. That's um, the complete opposite of actually working there where it's nothing but stress and nothing but like, where are we on time and how are we doing on the show? And is this pre-taped shot? And even if you shot your backstage vignettes and sometimes they're live, sometimes they're pre-taped, you know, you're still uh, in my position as as the lead writer, um, you know, overseeing the entire show and making sure everything is shot and done. There's just so much, you know, and, and, even if you are done with everything for that night, you know, there's a lot of talent coming up to you, asking you about, you know, next week and the week after and the direction of their character as they should, you know, it's, it's, it's probably the only time they have to do that in person. So, you know, the amount of pressure and responsibility and, you know, just this tidal wave of, of stuff that you have to deal with when you actually work there. Versus just like, yeah, I'm going to just uh, show up and, uh, you know, eat a giant pretzel and enjoy the show. It's uh, it's night and day. And I went with uh, Uli, who plays 23-year-old Dwayne, uh, you know, and he got a nice little pop and, and uh, spotlight. Okay. Um, and, and it, you know, that was the first WWE show he had ever gone to. Wow. Um, and he just had the time of his life. So it was really cool. And I just enjoyed it, too. I mean, look, there's plenty of times I'm watching like, oh, I would have done that. Or I would have, um, you know, I even texted Ed Kosky at one point um, after a match and said, you know what, next time, what if you did this, that, and the other thing, you know, but just as purely just as a, you know what, hey, I'm here, why not? Um, but not under any, like, uh, I'll always kind of watch it with that eye. But yeah. you know, if, if they do it, great. If they don't, I'm still sleeping at night. What do you think of the bloodline? Um, I mean, they're they're probably the best act going right now really it's like I remember I used to give notes um you know when I was consulting with WWE and you know the Usos would come out and they're great in the ring um, but you know they would come out they'd do their big entrance they'd have a great match and they'd go to the back and that was relatively it and it's not really you know like that's not, not their fault it was just mm-hmm. like that was the opportunity they were given and that's what you know they they did what they were given and I always thought to myself like man if If Jimmy and Jay actually, you know, craft specific personalities and traits and you could clearly tell one from the other uh, and give like, you know, descriptions based on their personality and character that isn't based based on their wrestling moves. You know, one's friendlier, one's a little short tempered, one's, you know, all that stuff is coming out now in the, uh, you know, in the storyline with Sami Zayn and we got to see it. Um, and it's really cool. It's a really cool dynamic. And that's why they're flourishing so much because you actually get to see individual human beings and differentiate them. Um, and that's where the, that's where the magic happens, you know, when you're able to do that and that's not even, uh, even getting into Roman yet yep. <laughs> and Roman is, you know, the, the headliner of the group and everything. So, you know, it, it's really cool to see when, you know, like there's no better, there's no better feeling, you know, when you're working backstage at WWE. When a storyline is truly clicking yeah. and you're like oh we got something here and we got something here with multiple characters and when you have multiple characters you can have roman do his thing you know let's say with logan paul coming up and at the same time have that you know um dynamic with um, sammy and jimmy and jay and you know who knows what's you know brock's return means with Heyman and everything um, you know, plus, plus the kid they just called up. So it, it's really cool to see.
0: Yeah. I mentioned to our producer Lynette before we came on the air that I would definitely buy the honorary Oose t-shirt and yeah. I really think that there's an opportunity if they take the Jay Uso angry face and put <laughs> that on a t-shirt and call it Oosey or stay cool or something like that. I think, yeah. I think, I think they've got a lot. The other benefit. On. Yeah. Merchandise. Yeah. Uh, so, second question. You are uh, Mets general manager, Billy Epler. What changes this
1: offseason? Well, I mean, you obviously uh, are losing almost, I don't know, 80% of your pitching staff. Yeah. I think uh, Scherzer and Drew Smith are the only ones guaranteed <laughs> to be back next year. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And I know, um, and obviously, too, you know, the offense went away. At the end of, the, I was there for all three playoff games. It was oh wow! Um, yeah, um, I, I look. I, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to bring back everybody. Obviously, obviously you got to bring back Diaz. You uh, would. It would be great to bring back Nimmo. He really came into his own this year. And you know, it, to me, even though I think maybe um, it's split. I and mean, it's not split, but like there's question amongst the fan base. In terms of like, well, Jacob deGrom, 34 years old, best pitcher when he's healthy and right, but he hasn't been healthy the past three years. Um, you know, is it is it worth it to have two guys with a gigantic, you know, upwards of 40 to maybe 50 million dollar contract for three years and what have you and the risks that come with that? Um, for me, you know, as the type of fan that just like took so much pride in, you know, David Wright having his entire career as a Met. You know, yeah. which, like it always killed me when Strawberry left, you know, to go to the Dodgers and Gooden ultimately left. And, you know, it's obviously I was a kid when little kid when it happened, I didn't realize the impact at the time. But Seaver, you know, getting traded too. I love the the franchise player that stays with one team their entire career and the relationship and the bond with the fan base. And it's like no other person, you know, can, can lay claim to them. You know, Derek Jeter is always a Yankee. Um, you can't, you know, you don't have that weird, you know, uh, oh, there's, um, you know, here's my 1989 Keith Hernandez in Cleveland, you know, yes. uh, you know, baseball card, even though obviously he had a whole gigantic career in St. Louis beforehand. But I, I would absolutely love, even if it doesn't make sense, the fan in me uh, would love uh, to see Jacob deGrom a Met for life. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's an entire uh, <laughs> pitching staff. Um, you know, most of the offense, save from Nimo, is coming back, but but there's work to do on the pitching side. And, you know, they need to score more runs and a little more power as well. I uh, Sorry, yeah. Phil, I can go on for probably. Like- oh, yeah, me too. I,
0: I think they should hang on to DeGrom. And I've told multiple people in the last week that I, despite what's been said, I think that every team in Major League Baseball should be talking to Aaron judge after the walk season that he had, I don't think you should limit yourself. Just, oh, he's not going to come here. with the Mets. You have to make the offer. Like it, it, it makes no sense not to like, you what he did.
1: That was the Wilpon era of, oh, there's no way he's going to come here yeah. now. You know, Steve Cohen, anything's possible. Yeah. So last question of all the
0: personalities on tales from the territories and young rock, which of those wrestlers would you
1: most like to have written for? Huh? That's a great question. Um, you know, there's there's like written for and just worked with, mm. you know, because like, when you watch we both, Randy, <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. Like, when you watch Randy Savage, um, you know, it's like, on the one hand, it's like, well, how, how could I possibly write, you know, for Randy? And uh, maybe not his promos, because his promos, you know, and, and all the wrestlers in that era, you know, they, they did their own promos, and they and they crafted their character perfectly. But just to write storylines for him and angles. And, and 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 he was amongst some of the best ever, you know, the mega powers, the Jake Roberts, you know, with the snake biting his arm, the ultimate warrior retirement thing with Elizabeth come running back into the ring. Um, and that's just scratching the surface. He, he's a he's, a, he's a, always been a favorite of mine, and, and, and someone that I would have loved to have uh, worked with you know, if our, if our areas our had lined up properly. Um, and yeah, I mean, like in, as far as Tales from the territories, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can't be more opposite than uh, mad dog, Bashan, but <laughs> it, it would have been uh, quite a, quite an experience to uh, have been able to work with him at one point. He, obviously he doesn't need a writer either, but it still would have been pretty cool. You
0: know, what's crazy about mad dog Bashan is I think if my, if my, Memory is right. I think he was still kind of hanging around the WWF when I started watching in about 85. Yeah. I think he was, think he was still doing some local shows and randomly in matches on primetime sometimes. So he yeah. you was know, somebody who was like, I didn't really know why he was there or that he's yeah. he a very older guy, but like I didn't. Uh, I didn't totally get it, but my goodness, so there's some adult Vishon stories on, yeah. uh, on the season of Tales from the Territories. So uh, no check those out. So, uh, again, we'll mention uh, T- Vice, Tales from the Territories, on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Young Rock starting back up on NBC on Friday, November 4th at 8 p.m. And uh, Brian Gortz, thank you so much for joining us again.
1: I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, always, always fun, always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we can be uh, you know one day a three-time guest. Absolutely, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Brian Gewertz, and I'd also like to thank Matthew Mitchell for his assistance on this interview. Join me next week, where my guest is no exaggeration, one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time, one half of the legendary Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton. Ricky is still going strong at sixty-six years old. He's wrestling for the NWA and a lot of other places nwa has their hard times pay-per-view coming up in november in new orleans ricky's son carrie is also wrestling for the nwa now i had a really really great time talking to ricky morton i think he'll really enjoy it next week so have a great week everyone just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left